0: Okay, welcome to the trauma tapes. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: Good. It's yeah. finally not 100 degrees. I feel like sometimes we start off and talk about the weather. It's finally not 100 degrees, which is
1: thrilling. Relief. Mm-hmm. That's nice. It feels like fall. Like you can wear a sweater. Yep. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's warm here. It's going to be like eighty this week, which is kind of crazy. But the
0: world is burning down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a strange place these days. It really did you is. did you watch the
0: Fantastic Fungi movie yet?
1: No, not yet. I
0: need to. You have to watch it like tonight. Okay. It's like the mushrooms are going to sh- are going to save us. That's
1: why I say that. Really? Yeah. I like that. That's hopeful.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but it's it's a thing.
1: It's got it has like a fantastic reviews. It's
0: they're like one of the most gripping things I've ever seen. And you will immediately go onto the internet and order like 200 dollars worth of mushrooms, like just instantly. To eat. No, like supplements. Sorry, not like psychedelic mushrooms. Oh. I don't think you can order. Well, or maybe you can order those on the internet. I don't know. <laughs> sort of like
1: You could do anything on the internet. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) I should be clear supplements for health. Not. Yeah. That's exciting. It is
1: exciting. Um, okay. So we have kind of a brutal letter this week. Okay. Um, dear trauma tapes. When I think about a traumatic thing that happened in my life, I can't really narrow it down. I think it was kind of a thing that just kept going since I was a child. During this period of time, when I was really young, we were having financial difficulties that resulted in my parents arguing a lot. It usually ended with my father screaming at my mother while my sister and I hid behind her. He'd get really violent and start throwing things around or slamming the doors so hard that they created cracks in our walls, but he'd never really get violent with my mother. He did with me though. As a child, I used to cry really easily and it was something my dad could never stand It was a thing that happened really frequently because, you know, the perks of having an older sibling, I'm being sarcastic. He'd Mm -hmm. always get impatient and annoyed with me. And whenever I did something he didn't like, like cry, he'd yell at me. And if I didn't stop immediately, he'd just get more annoyed and yell more and continually hit me. That never really worked because it would just result in me crying harder, sometimes to the point where I could barely breathe because I'd be trying to stop the noises from coming out so I didn't trigger him further. So because of that, I only ever knew the pain from his slaps and kicks growing up and never had a good relationship with him. In recent years, he stopped doing it as much, but even so, every time I see him, I get terrified and I can't talk to him. My throat closes up, I can't get words out even if I wanted to, and my body just freezes in place. I know he does care for me, And he tries to talk to me and hug me, but I can't stand it. Every time he gets near me, my body just screams at me to escape. Even now, he still keeps trying, but every time he talks to me and I'm unable to respond, he gets pissed and I always just expect him to blow up and start hitting me again. I feel scared whenever I'm at home with him and no one else is around. Around two years ago, when my father and my mother started arguing again, my father picked my sister and I up from our piano lessons. On the drive home, he was ranting and insulting my mother, calling her names and accusing her of cheating on him with her colleagues, even though they were all already married and had families. I know that in other cases, cheating still happens, but my mother still loves him to this day. A few months ago, we were out and she was talking to my aunt about wanting to divorce him because of his ceaseless probing and suspicion and his impatience and violence. But she said she couldn't bear to because she still loves him. My mother is the type of person who cares and loves too deeply. And I've seen it so much over the years that I know that there was no way she could be cheating on him. Of course, I didn't dare to say it out loud to him. As we got home that day and were about to enter the house, my dad said, don't tell your mother about it. Got it. And my sister, who I wouldn't say I have a bad relationship with, but it isn't good either, replied that I probably would tell my mother. It was a fair assumption, to be honest, because since I was young, the only person I was close to was my mom, who would protect me from my dad. He turned around and yelled at me in the middle of the hallway to not tell my mother anything. And at that point in time, I was terrified, even though it was around the period where he stopped really hitting me. I genuinely thought that if I did tell my mother anything, he'd kill me. Looking back, I know it was baseless, but for some reason, I still do think that way and I can't explain it. A few memories keep popping up more often than others, and I keep finding myself breaking down at home over nothing, even if nothing had happened that day. Some things that kind of developed over the years that's affecting me now is that even though I'm normally fine, whenever I'm around my family, my throat closes up and I can't ever talk to any of them. So I'm normally silent at home. Every night when I try to go to sleep, I'll just be lying down and not have anything to occupy my mind with. So my mind just starts thinking and memories and thoughts pop up and I just go into another spiral again. And the next morning when I wake up, my eyes are puffy and I'm absolutely drained and have, have never had any motivation to concentrate in school or study. A really weird thing that happens is whenever my dad's not home, I'm normally comfortable with my bedroom door being open. But once he's home, I have to close the door. I can't leave it open or I start feeling trapped. I'm thinking that it's because when the doors are closed, I don't have to see him, which calms me down since it puts distance between us. and gives me a barrier, and that's why I have this issue. But my dad gets really mad whenever I close the doors and start shouting so I can never do it. And every time I'm home, I'm just always on edge. I mentioned it already, but he's been trying to be nice recently. But whenever he tries to make conversation with me, I freeze up. And he tries to be affectionate and hug me, but I always find myself panicking and trying to push him away. He does this thing when in his attempt to try to hug me or kiss me, he ends up climbing over me on my bed so I can't run away from him. And it always sends me into a panic. I feel trapped and I get so terrified. Anytime he touches me, I find myself either scratching the same area or hitting the area to get his touch off. I'm not sure about it, but I theorized that it could be because I'm only used to receiving pain from him. So that's why I try to do it. To put it simply, I guess my main question is why is this getting so bad now after my childhood, which is when the main things happened? Why is it that I'm still affected by it? Shouldn't I be over it? Is is there any way I can stop these constant spirals? Signed, I don't know what's happening. Oh my goodness.
0: I'm so sorry for your experience. It's terrible, awful, atrocious. What are your initial thoughts?
1: My initial thought is, that, you know, is that the, the letter writer's behavior is perfectly normal mm-hmm. for the situation and they're beating themselves up for it. It's like mm-hmm. they're the only one in this dysfunctional household. Mm-hmm. that are reacting appropriately yeah to the abuse frankly that's going on yeah and yet they're questioning themselves right, right? i mean it's heartbreaking you know you you, you want to save this person you want to get them out of the situation immediately yeah i mean i think <clears throat> we should be very
0: clear that this is um abuse. No doubt. Right? Like it's not a an either or you've been abused by your father. He's still abusing you. That's one of the hardest things a human being can go through. So to ask yourself these questions about why I'm feeling like this when it's over, you know, it's
1: because it's the worst thing and it's not over. Right you're still in that, in that house. And, you know, unfortunately your mother's not protecting you. Right. You're in danger.
0: So your body is responding as if you're in danger because you're in danger. Right. And it's doing everything you, you know, it's doing everything it's supposed to So let's think about what we can think about here, right? So I want to email this person back and send them some resources, which I will. Um, But here on the podcast, the thing we can talk about is the stuff. Why is this happening, right? We can answer these questions pretty definitively about, and maybe get some, some, shed some light into why you're having these responses that are upsetting, right? Like the thing, the reason why we have thought that trauma, that PTSD is a disorder for so long is because the symptoms are so distressing there's an argument in clinical psych right now that it should be renamed post-traumatic stress injury because it's not actually a sign of disorder because it's your brain doing all the right things in that situation. Um, but again, the reason we call it disorder is because these symptoms are terrifying and, you know, so a couple things that I think, number one, I, I, I don't, I think People who've never seen that kind of darkness and lack of control in someone else's eyes don't understand like the primal terror of that moment. Like when you, when someone who you love or know or trust or all three turns black, right? Their eyes turn black. They're out of control. That is the most terrifying human experience, even if no violence follows, And I want to be clear about that too, because it's not the, it's not the physical abuse that makes it traumatic. Although of course that's traumatic. It's what's behind it, which is you get this access to this facet of humanity that is out of control. And when you see that darkness in someone's eyes, your body wants to run because it knows that you're in danger. And again, it doesn't need to be followed by actual violence. It's that look that your brain is responding to. The violence is another layer. So when you say that your dad is getting better, if he's still doing that, if you still feel that lack of control, then it's still happening. And it's still just as real as if he was being physically violent.
1: The potential is always there.
0: Right. It's happened. Because right. Of the
1: data that it's happened. Right.
0: And you're, there isn't there just because someone has controlled one little piece of that, it doesn't mean they're in control or that they've healed enough for you to trust them again, you know? Right. Um,
1: at night. Just because everyone else in the, in the home is pretending it's okay. Right. Does not mean that your reaction or your feelings about it are wrong or right. incorrect.
0: Right. 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 Absolutely.
1: I interrupted you. Sorry. At night.
0: No, that's okay. I was just going to say to what you just said that like, we have to, we have to metabolize this idea in our society that our bodies are barometers and they are not flawed instruments. They're giving us data. And so it doesn't, you don't need the validation of people around you in order for you to know that what you know, right. Which is that you're in danger. Your body is telling you're in danger. You don't have to understand why you don't have to convince anybody else. Nobody has to agree with you. That is a true fact. And I think, you know, we, the memories pop up because so you're having this response in the moment because your brain is trying to protect you and the memories pop up at night because your brain is trying to protect you. So when you've been in a threatening situation, now, two things happen. One, your recording mechanisms in your brain sort of shut down. So you don't get the kind of memory that you do with a regular event. Um, the So there's, there's stuff to process that sort of sits around in your brain and your brain needs it to be organized and look like all of your other memories. So anytime it has an opportunity, it will throw that data up into the front of your mind so that you organize it and put it away and get that memory to look like all your other memories. One of the reasons, by the way, that this memory isn't looking like the rest of your memories is number one, it's not quite a memory. It's still happening. And two, because you're judging yourself in it. And so it's becoming, it's still a corrupted file, if that makes sense. But the other thing that happens is your brain is trying to figure out what how it can protect you better in the future. It's trying to learn from the trauma. And so it's like trying to reconcile the fact that you're still living in this house with this dangerous person, that this dangerous person toggles between being safe or appearing safe and being unsafe, right? And like, it's trying to make a plan. So it's sifting through the memories and pushing those forward because it wants a solution to the problem.
1: Does that make could sense? That, yeah. Could it also be that it's, it's a reminder that it's still a threat, right?
0: You're still in danger. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. I could be going, you can table this if you want to, but is, is there any chance of healing if you are still being exposed to the stressor or to the trauma every single day? And I um, don't to sound, um, Uh, as, you know, dark and and desperate as that sounds. But no, I,
0: I think that's a really valid, good question. Um, It depends, right? Like it depends on how much you need a place where you can come down to safety, where you can feel regulated. And I think sometimes in situations like that, we will close the door and think, well, okay, well, I'm safe now. And so this is what safe feels like, but your body is still at that level of activation and it's not actual real safety. So it's not, you don't know safe until you know a completely different somatic experience. You know what I mean? So I think, I guess the answer to the question is probably like you, some of it can get done in spite of the fact that it's still happening and you're still in it, but not all of it. Okay. And I mean, I think like, you know, one of the reasons why so much of the trauma research is about developmental trauma is because when we are small, and by the way, we, that's between the ages of zero and 18, according to developmental psychology. So not like, it doesn't stop at like nine weeks old or whatever, <laughs> you know, we need to give us, give ourselves some more slack when we are small, we need acceptance and, the feeling of belonging as much as we need food and water. Because if you think about this from like an evolutionary biology perspective, you are, before you can be an adult and really like make it on your own, you um, need social connection because the social connection is what brings you safety and food and water. And so if you are on the outside of the group, the social group, you won't survive. You'll be a lot less likely to survive that's a really important thing to understand because your body is responding in this like primal biology way to the threat. Yeah. Another thing is, um, I think too often we look at healing. Like one of the things we try to look at healing, one of the metrics we use is like, when I gain mastery over my memory, then I will be healed right. When I don't remember this anymore, when I choose, when I think about it, when it doesn't ever intrude my thoughts, like that kind of thing, then I will know that I'm healed. And we don't like, again, going back to the biology, we don't get mastery over our memories because it's almost like whoever's in charge of creating human life, who knows what that is, knows that we would make the wrong decisions. Yeah. Yeah the first things that would go would be the most terrifying lessons we've learned. The things we need most on a biological level are the most terrifying things we've been through. Right. Because this, these are the pieces of knowledge that will, that you need to make sure you're safe in the future. Your father is an example of who not to be with, who not to surround yourself with, who not to connect to, you know, so you can't get mastery over those memories. You can't delete them. You know, the, the you can sort of short circuit your wiring a little bit when you need to go to sleep and disconnect. Um, the best ways to do that are to distract yourself sufficiently so that your brain comes back down to like baseline. Um, we've talked about that a lot in in previous episodes, but just to give you like a quick example, one of the ways you can do it is by playing Tetris because that makes a constant bid on your prefrontal cortex, which is in the circuitry that can't operate at the same time as your fear circuit. So, when you play Tetris or do something that's sufficiently distracting like that, you kind of shut down the fear circuit and can come back to calm. So, they've done studies with veterans where they put, they give you uh, 20 or 60 minutes of Tetris a day. And People reported um, significantly reduced PTSD symptoms when they did that because it lowers your baseline of anxiety. So you're kind of like operating, you're rewiring your brain a little bit, changing the the circuitry and and functioning. Um, The other thing, though, the other critical piece of this is being in a situation where you're actually safe. Right. Your body is not going to completely calm down until you're completely safe.
1: Well, it's yeah. interesting how, how, how they say that, um, I don't, I'm assuming it's a her, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that when the know. door is shut and she can't see her father, she feels safe. So, right. she, you know, on some level, your body knows that if he's not, if you, if he's not in your space, you know, visually, physically, mm-hmm. that, that that's a safer place within a, an unsafe home, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know. I mean, I I just think she needs to get out at at, at mm-hmm. as soon as she can, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you
0: can't, right, make sure that you have safe spaces in your life so that you're bringing your body into situations that you know are safe as much as possible. Right. right? So, do you have extended family members who have homes you can go, you know, spend some time in? It doesn't have to be if you can't move out, if you have to be in the situation, you have to be in the situation. So how can we work around that? Do you have friends that you can, you know, spend time with their family, have meals with them, like be involved in places where, you know, you're safe and really imprint that every time you're in those circumstances, this person is safe. I am safe here. Think that to yourself, introduce those thoughts because we know from the study of adverse childhood experiences and positive childhood experiences, that if you have enough positive childhood experiences, they counter the adverse childhood experiences and those positive childhood experiences. What a mouthful um, can be, they don't have to be moving into a new home with a safe family, right? It can be that you have friends that you trust, that you feel like you belong at school, that you have hobbies that you're plugged into like, We know that to be true from the research that that is healing. So, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I'm thinking of um, uh, dad saying that, you know, he was probably in kind of a similar situation, although we don't know the details and going on vacation with the neighbors. Yeah. And how fondly he would look back on that and how healing that was. And that was probably, you know, one week out of the year that he was out of, a, a, a a probably abusive home, you know? Um, so yeah, it doesn't have to be like, that's a great point. You can find these little pockets.
0: Yeah. And we know them to be healing. Like, I know it feels like a small thing, but we, we know them to be healing. Um, so make sure that you're in those situations and that you're around people that do feel safe to you. Um, that's a
1: great, that's great advice.
0: The um uh, one thing I want to talk about that I don't think we talk about enough is that one of the critical things that keeps people in abusive relationships, whether it's family members or romantic partners, is um the profound disorienting experience of someone toggling back and forth between being abusive and kind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. It's not just the abuse that that is problematic. It's incredibly disturbing when someone, when you see that people are capable of like flipping a switch and becoming a different person. Yeah. So I think, you know, she kind of asked the question of like, why, you know, if things are better with him, why is it worse suddenly for me? And it's because I think you're trying to reconcile these two versions of this human who is central to your development. You know what I mean? Like that's a big task for a developing brain. That's a big task for a developed brain.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, those are the stories you always hear. Like you know, yeah. uh, you know, it was terrible, but then he was so nice, or he, you know, he did this and he promised he'd never do it again. And it was, yeah, it's yeah, it's like back and forth. That's so jarring we get, and this
0: ties into the kind of the self harm question. We get a hit of dopamine and opioids, natural opioids, when we feel distress. And here's why, when you're a baby there, something needs to connect the bridge between feeling distress and having social connection. Cause we, we don't come to the world, like wanting to be social. You know what I mean? We have, that has to be a learned behavior. Yeah. And so when we cry for something, when we feel distress, and then someone soothes us, we get this little hit of an opioid. And so that means whenever we have distress, and then we get soothing, you get a little bit of a drug in your brain and body. And so that, that it also kind of puts this wash on what's been going on, because it's like, you get sort of there's an addictive cycle to that. Not that you're addicted to the abuse, but the chemicals in your body that are released when it's happening and immediately after, especially if there's repair, um, are addictive chemicals.
1: That's fascinating.
0: And so this is one of the theories, Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah talked about this in their book about um, why self-harm is so common in people with trauma. And it's because your body is looking for a release of that chemical because it needs it more than someone who isn't being abused to regulate. Okay. If that makes sense.
1: It does. It makes total sense.
0: The other self-harm thing, you know, cause she was asking the question, why do I like scratch the spot where he touched me and stuff like that? I think it's also control, right? Like your part of your body is trying to say to your body, this is mine and not his you know? yeah,
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And I think there are, there, I know there are ways that you can get that same effect without harm, but I think it's important to understand that that's where the impulse is coming from. It's all natural. It's all healthy. It's all there for a reason. I think, you know, the overwhelming kind of question or the underlying question of like, this whole letter is, when is this going to stop? Like, when am I going to stop feeling this? And the truth is that this is the kind of the foundation of the podcast, right? Like trauma leaves traces, right? Just like all the rest of our experience. Right. And so we have to recalibrate what we think of when we think of healing, healing doesn't mean not feeling anymore. Healing means integrating what happened. Right. You know, so some questions in your healing that you can ask yourself are how did this experience shape who you are right in, and I don't mean that in like, (laughs) I think the, the impulse is to answer the question, like, well, it means I'm broken. No. Right. What else you're probably really empathetic, really intuitive, really in tune with, you know, other people's emotions in ways that you can use in the future to your benefit, to their benefit you know? And again, like, it's hard to even talk about this because you're not out of the situation yet. So it's hard to like stand in a place and reflect back. Um, but I just want you to know, like with that example, that that reflection is possible and what you will see when you do it is not brokenness. Yeah. It's strength.
1: I I think the fact that, you know, she's even writing the letter at this point and and is as self-aware, um, as she is, you know, uh, going through what she's gone through was remarkable. Totally. You know, so. Oy.
0: But I'm going to email you and send you some, try to get you some resources because it'd be really great to have a therapist at the very least. Some help You're mm-hmm. in a very
1: difficult situation. I'm mm-hmm. so
0: sorry. Yeah. You're normal, your responses are completely normal. Trauma is an is a normal response to an abnormal situation. Yeah. This isn't normal. Yeah. And as Lisa just said, the fact that you're already trying to heal is a testament to your soul, your little spirit that's in there that nobody can get to. Have you seen the movie, the Pixar movie Soul yet? Me? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Who else is here? Yes. I love, cool. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I loved it. I love all those movies.
0: It was so profound. I watched it
1: again last week. It's so profound. That stuff should be on repeat. Like you should, you should have to watch it. Like, or you should, you should watch it. You should choose to watch it. Like once a quarter. Seriously. Like remind yourself. Right. What's the other one. Um, inside Out. People in the head. Yeah. Inside Out. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I want one. I want to make one. If I won the lottery, that is what I would do. I would make a Pixar movie about. Memory.
1: Oh, how fun is that? That's a great idea.
0: It's like we need that would really help. Like we could like understand. I think these movies have an impact
1: or they have a huge impact.
0: Everybody watches them, kids and adults. Everyone gets something from them. Kids learn. Can you imagine like what your life would look like if you had watched inside out in like fourth grade? and that was it. Like you had no other like change in your life. just that.
1: I know. I know. It'd be huge.
0: It's huge. Anyway. Thank you for writing letter writer. I hope we can get you into a better situation, but just know that you're doing all the right things. And so is your body.
1: So is your body. That's good. I like that.
0: Okay. Okay. Do you have a tiny little joy?
1: Um, I do. We um, went to Vermont this past weekend and um, we were in the middle of peak leaf peeping. (laughs) I don't know if that's just a new England thing. I don't think so. do your leaves change colors? Yeah. Okay. Are they changed now or no? They're starting to, yeah. Okay. Um, And it was really just like breathtaking. Mm-hmm. You, know, you kind of take that for granted when you grow, when you're growing up and then just, just the landscape was r- really beautiful. And yeah, you know, like, we went to Vermont a lot as a kid when we were kids. So it's like, kind of like a special place. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. Oh fun! Yeah, I also like the vibe there. I like that you can just like everyone just got like a fleece jacket on. And oh my god, jeans, and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like laid back and mm-hmm. no big deal. It's funny. it's it's, uh, it's a cool place.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I went to I went on a camping trip with some work people. Um, I don't know what year it was. I guess not last year because last year was what year is it? It's twenty twenty one. Okay, <laughs> twenty nineteen, um, and. It was in Big Bear Mountain, which is outside of LA. And you think growing up in in Massachusetts, you see this like vast giant mountain and these leaf, these leaves and everything is so beautiful and all this stuff. Big Bear is like, if like, it's like 6,000 times bigger than that.
1: Really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God.
0: (laughs) And it's so much so that it looks like a fake background. Wow. And it's like, you're just like, holy hell, like California, the scale of things is just completely different. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, I bet so much bigger, like in its own like entity than, you know? Yeah. That's is like this, but it's tiny. I know <laughs> you can drive across the whole thing in one day. I know.
0: I know. Um, that's a great tiny little joy. I love that.
1: It's not like you, like I've I had this moment where I was sitting outside, like sitting on a rock, like drinking coffee, like looking at these leaves. And I'm like, wow, this is what like yeah. the nature thing is all about. Like, yeah, just being able to start your day like this is really beautiful.
0: Yeah, that's really pretty grounding. It's yeah. pretty life changing. Yeah,
1: it is. It is.
0: Okay, mine is similar, actually. I um, it's been it really, so I live in a part of California that's not supposed to be crazy hot like ever. And it was, so it's not built for that. So nobody has air conditioning. It's old houses. It's like, you know, it's not, it doesn't get hot except the world is on fire. And so this summer it was like a hundred degrees for two and a half months, which is relentless. Like starts to stress you out and feel claustrophobic in the same way that like when it's February in Massachusetts and it's snowed three feet every week. Yeah, Yeah and you're like, this is like endless. And so, and it was funny because every week the weather was like, Oh, next week it's going to be 70 next week. It's going to be 70 next week. And then it'd be hundred. So it was this like thing. And so now it's finally cooling down, cooling off, and I can wear scarves again. And I love scarves. That's like my favorite thing. Um, so I'm just like reveling in that every day.
1: Okay. I would ask like the typical, like, like, I don't know, um, oh, like qualifying question. Is it like a humid heat or is it like a dry heat? It's a dry heat. It's a dry heat.
0: Okay. <laughs> Which is better and worse. And you know what I mean? It's a like good and bad. Cause it's, um, it, your, everything dries out. Like all of your like mucus membranes, you know what I mean? Like your yeah. sinuses, like get, get, yeah, it's not human. So it's still like hundred degrees in Massachusetts would be like, you have to lie down on the floor. Cause it's like the humidity, like knocks you in the head, you know, but this is, de- it's. it's
1: a, I'm thinking of Virginia. Like it, that Yeah, I mean, that humidity was like oppressive sometimes like
0: pretty brutal for sure. Yeah. Well, okay. I
1: mean, it's uh, it's broken and you can wear scarves.
0: Yes. And the scarf I'm wearing right now is one that Lisa got for me in Italy. And I love it.
1: I like that one. That's a good one. It's fabulous.
0: Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Um please write us letters at the traumatapes at gmail.com. Um, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. That really helps us a lot. Thank Thanks you. for listening. Bye. Bye.